Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Two years ago this spring, a trio of advocacy organizations launched a campaign they called Close the Workhouse. Now, that name refers, of course, to the city's medium security institution. It's a jail, a jail that long ago earned the Dickensian nickname The Workhouse. Action St. Louis, Arch City Defenders, and the Bail Project came together to pressure public officials to close down this jail. They wanted to see all of the city's detainees in the more modern Justice Center downtown. Now, last week, they achieved a major victory, but the battle's not over yet. And joining me with the latest is Kayla Reed. She's the executive director of Action St. Louis. Kayla, welcome back to the show. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So you went into last week's Board of Aldermen convinced you had the votes for a budget amendment targeting the workhouse. Just to to set up this debate, what was the idea behind that amendment? Well, certainly. So, you know, we announced uh, a couple weeks ago around June 16th, Um, that after months and months of conversations with the Alders, um, that we had majority support for uh, an initiative to defund the workhouse. Um, And yeah, so we announced that we had 14. Currently, the Board of Aldermen has um, two less seats uh, from the the vacancies. Mm -hmm. And so what we were moving to was the St. Louis City was in the midst of its budget uh, process for fiscal year 21. And we know that that process wraps up at the end of June. And so we were um, in the process of getting an amendment introduced to the budget to fully defund the workhouse. Amendments happen at the committee level. And so um, we had Alderwoman Kara Spencer attempt to introduce an amendment at the Ways and Means Committee that would defund um that would have defunded the budget line items that make up the the remaining $8 million for the Medium Security Institute. So why handle this as a budget amendment? Why not just have a, a, you know, a separate proposal to close the workhouse? Was this a way to force the mayor's hand on this? Yeah, so I think, you know, when you're in a campaign, you're looking at multiple different lanes of strategy. Uh, and so at the, if you remember at the top of the year, we had a board bill, uh, I mean, a resolution in front of the Public Safety Committee in mm-hmm. which we testified at several hearings um, with, you know, we packed the room in support of a calling on the board of ENA uh, to defund the the workhouse, to close the workhouse uh, ahead of the budget process really taking off. And so, you know, this was this was quite honestly years in the making that we were moving toward. We were also, you know, internally writing an ordinance that we were looking for a sponsor that would create the process to close the jail and then create you know, the fund that would reinvest into communities. We didn't get that ordinance introduced, but we did have the resolution pre-RONA from in, in front of the Public Safety Committee. So that didn't take a vote. Then we went down because of the coronavirus. And so, you know, bec- the timeline created um, what we felt like a sense of urgency that we needed to kind of go toward really pressuring uh, the conversation around the budget. We saw that the budget was cut in half when the new... Uh, proposed budget was released that we went from 16 million to 8 million and also we knew that we were at this critically low population in the medium security institute it's been less than 100 folks for well over uh, a month and so there is room at the cjc and we know that there's a larger conversation around pre-trial um pre-trial detainees and cash bail that we need to continue to have Mm -hmm. but we felt like just the that because of those different factors that going after the budget um, was the best option 
in the timeline because if we didn't get it done before you know 6 30 we were looking at having to have this conversation into 2021 uh, and there's a lot more you know there are a lot of other issues that our organizations want to be able to focus on and it was time to get this done after two and a half years. And you had some major support for this. And yet this amendment never ended up getting an up or down vote. Uh, what happened there? Kayla? Oh, Kayla, are you still there? I think we may have lost. Um, we may have lost Kayla. We're going to work on getting her back as soon as possible. Um, obviously, I'm super interested in the answer to that question, and I'm hoping that she'll be with us shortly to address it. And for those of you who are just joining us, we're talking about the campaign to close the city's workhouse, and we're talking to Kayla Reed, who's the executive director of Action St. Louis. She's been one of the people who's been absolutely instrumental in pushing this issue over the years, bringing it to the fore. Um, as she said, they have this amendment. Uh, they were pretty sure that they had the votes they needed um, to get this pushed through as a big cut to the budget. As, as Kayla mentioned there, originally the workhouse was costing about $6 million a year or $16 million a year. In this most recent budget, the mayor had put it at $8 million. And so this amendment that Kayla was working on pushing would have taken that $8 million and stripped that away from the workhouse. And the idea was that then the mayor would be forced to close this jail, which at this point um, she has not indicated her support for being ready to close it. Um, so that sort of sets the stakes on where we were. Um, I understand that we might be getting Kayla back here in just a second. For all of you tired of hearing me talking, I'm tired of hearing me talking too. And I understand Kayla's now with us. Um, Kayla, you there? I am back. I don't know what happened. Boy, you cut out at such a high suspense moment because you were sort of outlining why you had gone the route of this budget amendment. This was the time you wanted to get this done um, looking into this next fiscal year. So then what happened? Uh, why were you not able to get that passed as a, as a budget amendment? Yeah, so, I mean, it wasn't able to be introduced within committee. Uh, and then so what we moved forward toward was a kind of budget substitution on the full floor of the Board of Aldermen, and we saw Alderman uh, Brett Narayan uh, introduce that budget substitution, which, you know, was essentially the same budget, but had the, the line items that make up the Medium Security Institute um, subtracted. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was debated on the floor for several hours. Um, different alders rose in support or in opposition of it. Uh, and eventually what took place was that it was moved uh, because of a language in the charter. Uh, it was moved to the informal calendar um, there, we kind of ran up against the clock, mm -hmm. and, and uh, the truth is that we ran up against the clock, and so we we weren't able to get that um, voted on before the um, 6:30 deadline, the June 30th deadline, when the kind of proposed budget goes into effect. And that must have just been a huge disappointment for you. Yeah, they sort of a whiplash, honestly, from the perspective of the organizing team, um, because, you know, it, it was it was a momentous announcement to say we had the majority of the Board of Alders um, supporting it. And we watched as people rose in support, um, really calling into question why we were still, you know, why we would even choose to spend an additional seven to eight million dollars on a facility that had less than 100 folks in it. And we knew that the math was there to support a moving from MSI to CJC. And the city is facing, was facing a massive uh, budget gap because of the impact of uh, coronavirus. So mm -hmm. we saw half the budget be taken away very quickly and effortlessly moved into other things. Um, and so, you know, the political will, I think, was on the side of 
of uh, the campaign and 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 the community was in full support of it. You know, this same day there was uh, a rally outside City Hall that later that same afternoon where this bill wasn't voted on and, and folks were rallying outside. We saw the mayor dock protesters, including staff of Action St. Louis, who are releasing their personal information on Facebook Live. And so that day was just really intense for the campaign on, on a multiple fronts. Mm-hmm. So it felt like you were building to something big there, as you said, just very disappointing because this felt like such a good shot. But yet then something last week happened that I think have given people who want to see this workhouse closed, it's given them a lot of hope moving forward. And that is this bill that has been introduced by Aldermanic President Lewis Reed. Um, tell me what this bill would do. Yeah, so this bill does two things. For Bill 92, um, it creates a process to formally close MSI. So it would close the workhouse. Um, and what it creates is what the remaining uh, money that would be that was allocated to the facility minus you know things that take care of the formal process of closing it staff costs and other things a fund that would move through a participatory process to invest into um, the bill currently calls it um, a neighborhood crime reduction fund and creates a division of recidivism reduction that essentially works to uh, help folks who are being arrested and held pretrial who have what we call these kind of underlying social determinants of crime and then move resources into the communities by which folks who are most impacted by issues um, of violence are able to resource um, and find alternatives and supportive services that they want in their communities. Um, toward addressing those issues. Hmm. Now, I understand there's a couple of different points where um, you'd like to see some changes to this bill, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But overall, does this bill do what you are hoping will happen here with the workhouse? Yeah, I mean, we were we have the release of amendments from the Close the Workhouse campaign. Uh, I think we released about 10 overall. Um, myself and, and Blake Strode and Mike Milton and the campaign team uh, have worked to, you know, we've read this, I've probably read it a hundred times. And what I will say is that it does speak to a lot of what the campaign over the last two years has been lifting up, that the call to close the workhouse is not just simply about closing the facility. It is a conversation about pre-child detention at large. It is a conversation about how we think about um, detainee populations uh, in the city of St. Louis and how we spend our money in the carceral system here locally but it also has always set up a conversation about reinvesting in community. So it's, you know, the motto has been close the workhouse and reinvest that 16 million into community. And, and at its bones and overall, this bill gets to that. We have some um, specifics that we would like to see changed, um, particularly around, you know, in one part of the bill, it says that the division that would be created um, would be for detainees who suffer from mental illness. Well, yeah, that's one part of the population that is impacted um, by, you know, being arrested and incarcerated. But also we know that we're, we're seeing folks in the workhouse and in, in the CJC who are dealing with substance addiction and other kind of correlated social factors um, along the lines of poverty. We hear people constantly say this poverty is the root of crime, but we need to make sure that the division that's created has kind of that holistic approach um, so that we're going wide and not very narrow and not making a substantial impact on the pretrial population in our city. Mm-hmm. It's not just about mental health. There's sort of a host of issues that, that go along with that, is, is what you're Precisely. saying. Okay. Precisely. Precisely. So 
so creating the division, which we want to be renamed the Division of Supportive Reentry, and part of the reason that we want that is, is this idea that we are creating the division that is about support, right, and not recidivism reduction gets at a lot of things. It also presumes uh, guilt, and what we are talking about is that these folks are being held in this jail pre-trial. They have not been convicted. Um, and that we want them to have, we want to facilitate supportive reentry into the broader community. We want to make sure that, you know, folks are not coming out of jail into further devastation, and that's pushing them further into committing crimes of poverty to, to um, resource themselves. And so we're, we're really trying to make sure that this bill holds that holistic analysis, um, and, and we're confident that the administration, the President Reed and his team, um, have, have seen these amendments. We've talked about them several times and that they're going to be introduced, uh, and we are going to work to ensure that they are passed through committee so that the total bill that goes to the floor to be voted on uh, integrates this kind of holistic uh, approach that our campaign has always lifted up. So your sense is that they are on board for um, some of these amendments or some of the idea behind some of these amendments that, that your groups are pushing, these changes? That is, that is my assessment, yes. And, um, you know, this, they're going to introduce the amendment. And I think that that is what we have, we have to continue to organize beyond. This isn't anything that President Reed alone can pass. And so it's going to go before the Public Safety Committee. There's a hearing tomorrow, uh, and the Public Safety Committee will vote on each of these amendments. And so our work is to make sure that we have the majority vote on the Public Safety Committee so that when it goes to the full floor, um, it, holds, it holds this new language that we've introduced uh, and pushed out to the broader public. We're talking to Kayla Reed. She's the executive director of Action St. Louis about the campaign to close the city's workhouse, which she has spent so much time on in the last couple of years and, and appears to finally be very close to its goal. We need to take a quick break, but we're going to come back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. We're talking to the, about the campaign to close the city's workhouse, and my guest today is Kayla Reed. She's an organizer with the campaign that has been going on now for several years, as well as the executive director of Action St. Louis. Now, Kayla, Public Safety Director Jimmy Edwards was on this show two weeks ago. And again, this was just two weeks ago. I asked him then about closing the workhouse, and here is what he told me. The medium security institution uh, does not necessarily house medium security uh, detainees or people that are charged with crimes. In fact, we have no one that's housed at the medium security institution uh, that is charged uh, with a misdemeanor. We have no one there that's charged uh, uh, with low-level felonies. In fact, the people that are housed uh, at the medium security institution today are people that have been charged with murder in the first degree, murder in the second degree, hmm. rapes, and robberies. Those robberies also include carjackings. We have lots of people there uh, that have been charged with assault in the first degree. And so I think uh, what is happening in terms of how people are inferring what's happening at the workhouse, they just make an assumption that it is a low-level facility. It is not a low-level facility. Mm. With respect to the number of folk there, of course we are under our COVID protocol, so we're not moving uh, detainees or defendants or folk that are charged with crimes around. Uh, there are probably about 60 people that uh, uh, should be uh, in the medium security institution right now that we've not moved because of our COVID protocol. Uh, 
You don't want to oh, transfer germs between these two jails. Okay. Absolutely. And so, so we have held off with respect to that. Moreover, uh, our COVID protocol uh, has allowed uh, the court system and our prosecutors and our defense lawyers uh, to put nearly 400 people back on the street that I believe uh, ought to be locked up due to public safety and because of the public safety risk. But, you know, that's a, that's, that's a conversation for another hour or so. But the point here is, is that the, we need the beds. We are not in a position that we can take those beds out of our criminal justice correction uh, um, umbrella uh, because uh, I suspect that it's just a matter of time uh, that uh, we may have more uh, detainees than we have beds. Okay. So you feel like you're going to need that. You can't just put people in the Justice Center and close this down because that number could go back up. That is correct. I expect that there will be a surge. Okay. And why do you, why do you think there'll be a surge? Well, I expect that there will be a surge because right now uh, we are rearresting people that have been released under the COVID protocol. We mm-hmm. have rearrested nearly 70, maybe between 70 and 100 people that were released. And we have rearrested some several times. And that is Public Safety Director Jimmy Edwards speaking on our show about two weeks ago. Um, Kayla Reed, there's obviously a lot to unpack there, but it seems like the gist of what he's saying is we need the beds. We're going to need these beds going forward because we have more people that we need to jail. What's your response to that? I think that that's incorrect, and we've maintained that as a campaign uh, since the beginning. I think, you know, Public Safety Director Jimmy Edwards relies on a lot of fear-mongering language to incite folks into um, believing that we need to have two jails in the city with uh, 300,000 people and a dwindling population. And, and we just fundamentally disagree with that. Um, so, you know, we've heard him use that talking point a few times. And our focus, again, is that if we run the numbers, then, the you know, numbers don't lie. There is a federal contract that the city has entered in where we've seen a drastic increase in the number of folks who are being held um, in, this, in, the, uh, in the CJC downtown, um, who don't have to be held there. That's about 200 beds. These are not the uh, city's arrestees. These are federal these are people. Not. The city is getting paid to house them. Is that is that correct? Yes, correct. And and honestly, it, mathematically, it doesn't make sense. So if we are not holding that population of folks, if they are going to another facility um, and they can't go to the workhouse, right, because the workhouse doesn't meet federal standards, mm-hmm. um, then they they those beds would be free in the CJC. Moreover, even if, you know, half of that population, even if you didn't get rid of the entire federal detainee population and you moved just enough to, to clear out the workhouse, there still be beds there. There are beds there now. And so, you know, again, this kind of this rhetoric around we're talking about people who are charged, who are held pretrial. This is a constitutional matter. Folks are not held. You're not if, if a judge decides that there is a bail amount, it should be within reach mm-hmm. of a person's ability to pay. And what has happened is that St. Louis has created a system where the bail amount is always out of reach. And that's why our pretrial detention is so high. Um, one of our, our partners, our city filed a bail suit last year. We saw uh, the potential for the city to move at a rate that actually lets more people out on their own recognizance and actually moves quickly on lowering bail amounts so that folks are able to not be held pretrial. Um, and, and when we saw that kind of system move at the rate that it should be, um, 
we saw the population of the workhouse steadily start to decline. And so really having two jails allows the system to move slow enough where we're, we're holding people. When we started this campaign, Sarah, folks were in the workhouse for 291 days. Mm-hmm. That was the average length of stay. They had not been convicted of a crime. They were being held. They had been charged and they were being held pretrial. Waiting You're for their increasing day in the court. likelihood. Right. You're increasing the likelihood that someone's going to take a plea deal just to get out with time served. You're increasing the likelihood that someone's going to come out whenever the trial is over. If they're getting, you know, and most of most of the folks from our research were given probation anyway. So now they're being released after almost a year in this facility with probably new mental health issues, new issues of poverty. They don't have housing. Their families' situations and dynamics have shifted. The economic strain is creating its own source of problems. And then you're watching people do what they have to do to survive. And so I think, you know, the the conversations around if the people in the facilities were just the folks who were creating, who were committing these kind of crimes that Jimmy Edwards continuously lifts up, which again, I think is fear-mongering, they would fit into the, the city justice center. And because we still have people in the workhouse, it is a fundamental issue of the, the pretrial system. But moreover, that federal contract is, is, is exacerbating the problem. And even with the federal contract, we have enough space in the city justice center to move folks over. And what we save is more than what we make from that federal contract. And so the, the numbers are there. The moral you know argument is there. Uh, and we've been making this argument for two years. And so now we're going to go through the legislative process um, uh, once more to present this case to our legislative body, our most direct uh, representatives. And our hope is that this facility will be closed uh, by the end of the year. And the steps that need to be taken uh, to keep that this will actually increase the likelihood that our communities will be safe and that those resources, instead of spending them to lock folks up, will be invested into the services that our communities desperately, desperately need. It's interesting. I have heard a number of aldermen say that, that the city is actually losing money on these federal detainees, that it's agreeing to house, that this would be something that rather than costing the city money to cancel that federal contract, that it would actually be making the city money. And it's interesting that that we seem so attached to that um, when... You know, as you're saying, this is something that's that's a loser for the city, financially speaking. Um, you know, we also reached out to Mayor Lida Cruz, and we wanted to see if her position on the workhouse had changed since Judge, Judge Edwards was on the show a few weeks ago. And her spokesman gave us a statement that said this. Mayor Lida Cruz has made it very clear she does not support putting dangerous criminals back on the streets, but she does support a comprehensive, safe, and deliberate evaluation and study of more potentially efficient uses of government resources. In fact, Mayor Cruz is on the record saying the city is already working towards rethinking its correctional facilities that could possibly include include operating only a single facility. But in order to get there, Mayor Krusen has a duty to ensure the city responsibly balances the safety of the community at large with all of its many obligations under the law to house detainees on serious and violent felony charges. Just arbitrarily setting dates and deadlines for closing MSI, again, that's the workhouse, without taking all of this into account, does not get us a safer St. Louis. Are you worried that even if you can get all the votes for this plan at the Board of Aldermen, she might veto it? Yeah, so the the intro language to Board Bill 92 actually cites a part of the charter, Section 25, I mean, uh, Article 25, Section 1, that requires a higher number. So actually, the kind of votes that are required to pass this are the same amount that are necessary to override a veto from the mayor. So, um, so she may end up piece, with, with no say in this. Yeah, and, and the, the truth is she's had two years to say a lot, and she said nothing. Um, she could have organized this plan 
uh, that this bill speaks to without having to go through the board of aldermen at all. Um, she could have she could have led the charge on this, and what she's done is fall back on that you know fear mongering rhetoric, same as public safety director Jimmy Edwards, to avoid the conversation. The numbers have dwindled. The resources are desperately needed in communities, and that is how you're going to get. Um, that's how you're going to see a decrease in crime is when resources are invested. And we've made this argument for two and a half years. We met with the mayor a few weeks ago before we even knew that Board Bill 92 was being introduced. Um, we talked about the amendment to defund the jail that was in the Ways and Means Committee. Um, we've asked several times for the mayor's support. Um, the, the refusal to acknowledge that this is actually what leadership requires in this moment uh, is disheartening, uh, especially uh, again, you know, this is in this is in the shadow of her doxing protesters, including staff of this organization, the very same day that the board, the substitute, uh, the substitution was introduced to the full floor. And so we we understand that the mayor is not on our side on this, but the people have spoken. The campaign um, is going to be vigilant about getting this bill passed. Uh, and we are hopeful that the, the support that we've already had at the Board of Aldermen is going to grow um, and, and that, you know, President Reed and, and and other folks, including you know Alderwoman Kara Spencer, Alderwoman Megan Green, Alderman Brandon Bosley, Alderwoman Shamim Clark Hubbard, um, and Alderman Dan Gunther, Jesse Todd, Brett Narayan, Sarah Martin, Heather Navarro, the many folks who have been in this conversation for months and years are going to lead this um, to completion. I want to ask you about one more thing, and that is some sure. of your critics on the board of aldermen have noted that some of the voices that have been loudest in pushing for this workhouse closure are white. Why has it been so hard to garner support from aldermen on the north side, do you think? You know, our, our work is to garner support from the community. And so we spent months in North City, um, you know, months of this campaign in the last year knocking doors. We hired people who were formally detained in the workhouse, paid them a living wage, uh, and, and they went to work and they talked, they knocked over 10,000 doors. They've talked to thousands of people in wards and there is a there is a real conversation and a real desire to see this facility close. This facility has impacted thousands of black families in this region, my family, the family of multiple people on this campaign. Um, the leadership of this campaign is black and you know I, I grew up on in North City. And mm -hmm. so, you know, our work is to ensure that people are participating in this process. And we have had support, right? We have had support of Alderman Jesse Tide, Alderman Shereen Clark Hubbard, Alderman Brandon Bosley. Uh, we saw, you know, new support from Alderman Sharon Tyus. And so, you know, we hope that that, that continues to grow. Um, I really think that this is something that should be unanimous at the Board of Aldermen. Um, so we are hoping that this board bill will grow that support. Um, and we are looking forward to, you know, continuing to do the work that we've done for two and a half years. We're going to be at every committee meeting. We're going to be mobilizing um, our supporters and our members uh, to testify. And um, we would like to see this done. And it sounds like, uh, man, you guys are in it for the long haul, but you're hoping this is going to be a relatively short sprint here. I mean, this bill calls for if this can go through, um, this plan would go into place within about 180 days. So it seems like you've got a really good chance here. You're looking at by fall, by the end of the year. Is that correct? That is our hope that we will not walk into 2021 as a city with the workhouse. Um, and so, you know, 
I, I, I am very inspired um, by the amount of support that we've seen from community. We've seen, you know, groups like Expect Us lifting up the mantle to close the workhouse. We've had dozens of partner organizations since this uh, campaign began. Um, and so I am I'm very grateful to the team of organizers that work on this every day. Inez Bardot and Jay Shepard, along with, the, you know, the Bell Project and Art City Defenders. And so um, we are we are hopeful and but we are also we're organizers. And so it's not done until it's done. Uh, and we're going to continue to work to make sure that our amendments are, you know, introduced and passed and adopted by this into this bill. And then that the total bill is voted on and passed um, in time to get this done by the end of the year. Well, Kayla Reed of Action St. Louis and Close the Workhouse, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.